Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for revealing your heart to us, your embrace, for sending your spirit that we might be influenced and moved in the direction of your provision, that we might be able to turn, that we might be able to carry the sentiment of your heart in the season and the station of our journey here upon the earth. You have warned us time and time again, terrible times will come upon the earth as a result of man's not listening to you, not conferring, not desiring what you desire. And so we find ourselves scattered and scorned. We have found ourselves fallen and far from what you intended. Our hard hearing and our eyes that have not seen clearly the vision of your instruction has caused many to go astray. In the last days, many will fall away. They will be listening to deceitful spirits, doctrine of demons, following after selfishness, following after the orphan spirit, following after the Antichrist that hates cohabitation, the dwelling together, the coming together, the staying together, the doing life together. And we pray today that you give us a heart to feel the loss and the sentiment of great tragedy of all those who have fallen from your purpose and your call. Open the eyes of our hearts tonight and allow us to walk in the direction of truth. Allow us to hear a lament of a people that groans because of the consequences of sin and rebellion. And allow us, O oh God, to return, to have standing before you times of refreshing. That we are the one that are to beckon the call to the nations to turn their hearts and their devotion to you. But we have not sounded the alarm. We are not blowing the trumpet. Our life does not speak of the great loss of those who will be decimated and destroyed. Open our hearts, O oh God. Open our eyes. Let us embrace this season, what we're supposed to be doing, how you want us to do it with the same intensity and passion that Christ had when he went to the cross for us. In Jesus' name we pray. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It always precedes this solemn charge. He says, I... I with the most serious 
disposition charge you therefore before God. I hold you accountable before God. This is, this is a, a real uh, important place to be. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. So he's about to instruct us what we should be involved in, what, what should be our disposition in the light of a judgment that's coming and in the light of the appearing of Christ. Take this serious because there's coming a time of judgment for the living and the dead and his appearing is on the horizon. So what would Paul, if Paul were here tonight as that elderly apostle of the New Testament, what would, what would be his words after the trumpet sound? He's putting us in the light of the judgment of God. He's putting us in the light of Christ will appear. His kingdom will be a reality. So what it should be our first call to action, verse 2, that the word would be real. Proclaim the word in season and out of season. When you feel like you want to hear the word and when you feel that it's not relevant. And do so with such conviction that you're able to rebuke and exhort. And, and I want to tell you that rebuking and exhorting, some people say it is the, the gifting of some believers. They get to rebuke. Oh, pastor's always rebuking. Oh, rebuke. And you got to listen. If you live the reality of the loss of time, you would rebuke. If it's not a reality to you, you just let it go by. There is no urgency. There is no exhortation. There is no doing it for a long time. This with all long suffering because we're still at it after a lot of years. Uh, people that met us 16 years ago and came into our services, they still remember the exhortation, the rebuke. They still see that we continue to pursue the seriousness of the Word of God. For those that, that have a butter knife, that, that what they speak in the Word of God makes people feel good and comfortable and are seeking the, the embrace and the warmth, that's, that's not what the Word of God is for. It's a double-edged sword for rebuke, for conviction, to leave an imprint on the minds of those that we minister to so there's not a possibility that they would lose and fall under the devil's scheme. Um, I've always compared it to being out on the highway here, Highway 836, the Dolphin Expressway, and seeing some people play around, walking around, where there's vehicles going 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, and you're looking at people living like that, and you can sit there and just... Not talk to them, not say nothing, knowing that at a moment's notice, they're going to be splattered all over the highway. They're going to be such destruction will befall them that they won't have another opportunity to reconsider. Your rebuke might be their last time to change the course of their destiny. And so some people could, could live Christianity 
and we said it on Monday night here with the men, uh, and say, what's wrong with it? Why are you always having, what's, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. It's a big deal for people to be lost and destroyed and families to come apart. It's a big deal. And so Paul is saying to them, he's about to return. His judgment is imminent. So get the word. Get the word in the reality of its purpose. The word is not to comfort, to make you feel good, to make you feel easy. Um, many churches want, well, we should have more time of the worship service. In fact, we should have an entire time in the worship service. I feel so good when the, when the, when the, when the ministers of song and worship and praise are up there. It feels like a warm shower. It feels like a, I could... Ay, que rico. The whole service, please. We don't want any more rebukes. I don't want to hear the pastor call us to action, to account, to confront us. You're about to lose the greatest blessing of God. You're about to lose his game plan. And so there Paul is telling them, this is all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Have great patience and instruction. Because lapse of this, verse 3, uh, of, of failing to be able to grasp the intensity of God's word, the people will come to not endure. People won't want to hear, get right with God. It matters. Uh, the alarm of God's trumpet call. He says, if we... Do not sound the alarm with the appropriate intonation. How will people know they're supposed to be prepared? You, you, you don't play uh, a flute. That's for people to prance and to dance. The trumpet call is to awaken. And what, what follows awakening, if you hear the alarm, is lament. Cry. Lament is not to whimper, it's not to regret, it's cry out loud. Let the people see that you know what is about to happen. These commercials are great uh, recently where a girl's texting or going too fast and somebody pulls out and they freeze everything. And the lady comes out of her car and she has her baby there and her baby's about to be slammed at 60 miles an hour because there's no time to stop. And she says, why? Why weren't you being careful? And the other lady says, I, I can't stop. There's no, there's no turning around now. We, we have totally been so distracted we have been solely so out of tune so entertained that we don't have the opportunity to come to what God is calling us to in these times because I want to tell you something that the result of reprove rebuke exhortation the only result is when well received is lamentation lamenting that somebody would describe 
your destruction so accurately that you could see it, you could envision it, and you begin to fall on your knees and break down and say, don't let this come to pass. Don't let this be my reality. We saw it in, um, in Acts chapter 15 where Simon is said, you know something? Everything that you consider a manipulation is going to catch up to you. And he says, don't let this come to pass. Pray that this won't happen. And so Paul, Paul says, I mean, Peter says, um, repent then. Repent from this your wickedness. And set your heart aright before God. Align up your heart. Not with me. Not with the circumstance with God. Your, your issue is not a, a church issue. It's not a ministry issue. It's a personal issue. Your wickedness is going to befall you and you can't realize that you're totally out verse 3 it says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine they won't be tuned to things that are wholesome and healthy it says but rather they will have ears seeking pleasure ears seeking the soft tickle let's go there please second timothy 4 Verse 3, because they will have itchy ears. They will have ears that want to hear what they want to hear. They will heap for themselves teachers. There, there are uh, entire movements of God that, that prohibit any, any call to action, any confrontation. Don't preach because we, we're not going to have it. We're not going to have it. Don't preach reality. Paul says that this ministry, when it's authentic in verse 6, he says the intensity of one who will walk appropriately at the, at the accountable, responsible time of ministry, he says, I feel... Like my life is being wasted away as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. He's living every second. Bringing reality through the word of God to his ministry. Not, not wasting time. He says, I'm being wasted like one who is in the middle, verse 7, of fighting a good fight. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I'm still holding on. Verse 8, the future is, is, is bright for me. It's laid up. I know I'm going to receive my crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, my, my life is in account with God's time frame. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting reward. I'm where God wants me to be, doing what God wants me to do, living passionately, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And then he, he, he alludes to not only me, but all those who have loved his appearing. This is, this is training. Uh, Wellington Boone calls it kingdom training. Training uh, to be victorious. Training to be the champion God has called us to be. 
So this expression that we're hearing tonight, possibly for the first time in any Christian uh, church, how to exercise the expression of lament. We, we've all have been taught how, to, you know, in the, in the 90s, there was the movement, the laughing movement. Everything was... And the laughing movement just passed. We, we haven't had a lament move. But you begin to, to consider the loss we have had. Consider the loss we have had. In, in believers, in families, in youth, in, in, in the promises of, of the purposes being fulfilled of God in our lifetime. The purposes of, of great, great men of God and women of God who are no longer even close to God. They curse God. They've cursed their family. They've cursed their marriage. They've cursed their children. Children have become so distant from understanding God because, because your, your children don't want to embrace what you can't show them. I've had... Over our youth ministry, parents that would grab their, their 15-year-old kid and, and, and bring him to us. And we were young, in our mid-20s, and, and they would say, talk to my son. And I was like, I don't talk to your son, I talk to you. Let's talk to you and your watered-down Christianity. Let's talk about you and your lack of commitment to the Lord. Somebody called me today and says, could you come and see my son? I said, no. Have the audacity to bring your son to church tonight because God's going to be speaking. Bring your, your son to church and let him hear the voice of God. But we don't want, we don't want, we, we don't have our, our children. We, we have played with God and we're reaping huge uh, tares and not good, good fruit. That's whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So you sowed wrong don't expect a reap right. You didn't cultivate. You didn't nurture. You didn't lament. You didn't cry. You didn't, you didn't call out to God. And so this word lament in the Bible is throughout the Bible. Uh, again, not many preachers will bring this word. But I bring it because it follows the sounding of the alarm. It's not sound the alarm, y que lindo, and it was nice to hear the trumpet. No, sound the alarm and spend some time in your face on the ground crying out to God that your kids think that Christianity is a joke. They think the church is, is an imposition of somebody who wants to be religious. They don't see God. They don't... Um, this word lament in the dictionary is to express great sorrow and regret the unhappening, the unhappiness of, a, of an event. Uh, what's special about sadness and lament is that lament requires a loud demonstration of your sadness. The uncontrollable weeping of a situation that is, is happening, is taking place. Um, the word wail, W-A-I-L. Is, is that expression. To, to mourn loud. To make a, an emotional expression of things are twisted, things are wrong, things are not where they need to be. 
And, and we have an example of this in Matthew 2.16. The day that in Jerusalem, Herod had called all those that were in Bethlehem and all those in the surrounding vicinity, all its districts, from ages two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men, because he was angry, he sent for all these children to be put to death. And so there in verse 17, it was a fulfillment of the prophetic word of Jeremiah that was fulfilled, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, lament, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The thought of those that were being nurtured to be the people of God are no longer. And so throughout the whole uh, territory, you could hear mothers weeping. Now we have a lot of babies in our church in this season. I'm super rejoicing. I, I, I love to see the faithfulness of God, of those who waited and paid the price to have a home for their child. To have a husband for their baby. And not just any husband, but a husband who loves the Lord, who serves the Lord. Amen. A husband that wants to fear God. That wants to have God's blessing on his life. And, and to me, that's great rejoicing. Because, again, I've lost plenty of hair. I've wept plenty of times. I've, I've concerned, I've, I've rebuked, I've exhorted, I've called. What for? Because if we walk in this scenario, if we're able, and listen, a mental illness is the inability to feel emotional consistency with what's going on. What's what I'm saying? Listen, when it's time to be happy, it's you should smile. And when it's time to be sad, you should be really sad. To be happy when it's a sad moment, you're twisted. And if to be sad in a happy moment, you're also twisted. So this capacity to celebrate is what God desires for us to do. And so here, the record of this is found in the loss of a friend, the loss of, of a great relationship, the loss of, of personal accomplishments, the theft, all these things get you to a place of, of not just sadness, but great lament. Psalm 56, 8, uh, David says, Lord, make sure you take notice that I have aligned my heart to lament. Did we get the right verse there? 56, verse 8. You have numbered my lament. That's the word that is used there. It's not wanderings. The times where I was demonstrating great sorrow. You've taken notice of this lamenting to the extent that you've even put those tears in a bottle. And they're in a book. You're, you're recording. I, I really think that 
that uh, the opposite is true. In the times of our arrogance and our lifting ourselves up to not weep, to not cry in the time of adversity and great loss, that these are times also not to have the Lord show up on our defense, but the Lord to come and bring judgment in our lives. That's, that's a time where many times in the Bible he says, my hand is lifted up and I'm about to bring it down upon those that don't have the capacity to throw themselves on the ground and humble themselves before my hand. So he says there, Lord, take note of my lament, of my distress, of lining up my emotions to your sentiment. And this, verse 9, allows for me to have my... When I cry out to you in this manner, my enemies will be turned back. Those that are coming to destroy me. This I know because God is for me. When is God for you? When you're crying out loud in a lament. When you line your heart up with the heart of God. When you follow after the sentiment that... that that precedes the refreshing of the Lord. To, to be nonchalant, to be easy, to be relaxed. It's another tough preaching of the pastor tonight. That's fine. That's fine, my friend. But your enemies, enemies will devour you. God is speaking to you that these are the days that we can fall on our face and not be celebrating when we should be crying. Not be going on with the, the current of everything is well and we just like, don't make waves and don't rebuke anybody because they're going to get farther. Don't exhort anybody because they won't like it. It won't feel good. In Esther chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says that Mordecai was sad because a lot of people were about to die. He was, and we go to verse 1, Esther 4.1. It says, Mordecai learned all that had happened, and he began to tear his clothes. He began to put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the middle of the city, and he cried bitterly, a loud cry. Anybody seen what that word is? Lament. He is so in tune with the climate of spiritual destruction that is about to befall the people of God, that he begins to rip his clothes and he begins to go out, not, not in his closet, prayer closet, you know, where God sees in secret. No, lament out in the open where the devastation of the loss that is about to occur will, will shake the foundations of people's comfort and convenience and slow slipping into hell's destruction he cried out with a loud and bitter cry verse 2 he knew what was going on he had he had tapped in he went as far as the front of the king's gate you're not supposed to do a scandalous episode in a proper place you're not supposed to be, you know, I'm going to go and visit my in-laws, so that's not the appropriate place to tell them. 
that, that, that they're not living right, to relatives, to family, to continue to, to carry on the charge. No one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. You're not supposed to do there. It's inappropriate. How dare you speak some serious words in a place of mediocrity, in a place of, of conformity, of compromise, in an atmosphere of negotiated spirituality. How dare you show up there with a birthday cake and wish these people well as they're walking to hell. And so in that situation, verse 3, it got back to Esther. In every province where the king commanded and decree arrived, there was a great mourning amongst the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. They had heard what was about to take place. That the, the whole thing lamenting precedes situations that are unbearable. There's no turning back. You're in a, a peaceful place tonight. You're in a good place tonight. You're in a place of refuge and refreshing. Amen. And you want to find yourself in the pit of hell. You want to find yourself surrounded by demons. Uh, my youth group, I, and I, this is not new to tonight. If you've been here for a long time, you've known that this is my intensity all the time. And so in our youth group, we had a lot of kids that were flirting with sin. And I said, let me, let me try and help you guys understand the seriousness of this. And I brought a 14-foot python. And I grabbed a, a 10, 15, 20-pound rabbit. And I put it in a see-through transparent cage where this huge monster of a python was there. And so I said, youth, come around and, and get real close and feel for this thing. Feel for this thing because this is real. This is not going to be some mechanical. It's not going to be some TV. It's not going to be a Nintendo. Julieta, you were there? Julieta still remembers. She's, still, she's shaking back there remembering. And so we put that little rabbit. This is a nice-sized rabbit because it was a gigantic. I didn't want to do a, a what's it called? A, there's the bunnies are pygmy bunnies. They're like this big. They're pygmy. No, I got a big rabbit. I wanted to stick one of the youth in there. I did. <laughs> Just so they would feel the reality. But since you, that's child abuse. I was concerned this was animal abuse. And I grabbed that rabbit and I put it in that place. That rabbit had no concern in the world. Now, it, it actually felt better because we had thrown some like sawdust, that stuff that you buy at the pet store, and it was like fluffy. I, this is nice. And that rabbit well, said, look, there's a little pattern over there. I've never seen a pattern. The pattern was on the python. It was the, it was the clothing. It was attractive. I, I want to dress like the world. I want to feel like the world. And just prance over, and, and, and he looked at the you know, he didn't know it was a python. He was looking at the, at the little, it looked cool. It looked like little diamonds, black, brown, yellow, white. And then the snake is like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do I really see what I see? Do I smell what I smell? And then the rabbit went around and, and saw a friend. This is my friend. Hey, what are you doing here? I don't know. Somebody put me in here. What are you doing here? I'm hungry. What are you going to eat? And the rabbit licked the snake's nose. Listen, 
If we had any semblance of understanding what was about to take place, that rabbit should have been in the corner, like telling me, Pastor, get me out of here. I want to be back in your embrace. I want to be back in your arms. I want to be back in a safe haven. No clue. No clue. He went up and licked the, the snake in the nose. Decency, embrace, warmth against a sinister, wicked being. And no, dis, no um, discernment, no discretion, no, no ability. Listen to me. In, in half a second, that snake grabbed the rabbit not by the feet, not by the hind, not by the back, by the face. And there began the horrendous lament of an animal that was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong buddy. And with all fours began to backtrack and try to say, I didn't mean to, I didn't want to, I didn't know, and try to avoid the inevitable. The inevitable. There is nothing but a continual process all the way in. Wrapped around the bunny rabbit, strangled it, and swallowed it. It's trying to get those youth to understand that you're not going to have another opportunity. That, yeah, listen to me. We, we play the harp and we say God is a merciful God. God is a good God. God is an intense God. And in one second, what you thought would be the expression of mercy is the reality of what happened in, in, in Bethlehem with the children, what happened with, with Esther here. Let's go to verse 4, please. Esther chapter 4, verse 4. He is crying. He is lamenting. He's bitterly weeping. Esther and the maids and the eunuchs, the team, came and told her. The queen was deeply distressed by his distress. See, this is transference. This is somebody that is so sad that his closest people are being receiving the sentiment of, of what's taking place. So she attempts to send him garments. And she's sending him garments of praise, of laughter, of, hey, calm down. Things are not as serious as you want them to be. She sent him garments to Mordecai and sackcloth to take his sackcloth away from him, to remove the lamenting, to make it easy and comfortable and convenient. But he refused. That's what the, the Bible says. He's not going to a, a sentiment when it's the inappropriate sentiment. He, would, he refused them. The Bible says because of this, she was able to wake up out of her convenience and comfort. She was able to, to, she was able to move in the direction of God to fulfill what God had for her with regards to purpose. Psalm 102 verse 1. Again, the psalmist says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Let the outcry and the intensity of this situation come before you. Do not hide. 
Verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 1, let's finish. When he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let, not, let my cry come to you. Verse 2. Do not hide your face from me in the day of trouble, but incline your ear to me in that day when I call, when I lament, there'll be a speedily answer. There'll be a result. Uh, again, I believe that the expression of our outcry will determine what, what is uh, the coming result, what, what is the consequence In Amos chapter 3, verse 6, the prophet is called to bring Israel to lament. The whole purpose of his ministry was to try and get these people to realize how the Lord was upset and how he was about to arrive. And so there he asked a question, if a trumpet is blown in a city... Will not the people be afraid, concerned? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? The trumpet sound to lament, to avoid calamity. For people to take charge of uh, those that have lost the fear of God need to listen well. They, these are not traditional Jewish holidays we are celebrating. These are... Uh, set in order so that we might conform to the sentiment of God. This is, this is not pretty Jewish holidays and, oh, I can't wait for tabernacles to come and, and my favorite time is Christmas because I love the little manger and all that stuff is good and fine and embrace it and enjoy it. But the truth of the matter is that ground yourself to your walk with God. Ground yourself. He says there in verse 7, I won't do anything until first I warn you through my servants. The Lord's not going to, there's not going to be a situation until first you have received the secrets that God wants you to hear from those who serve me. And that, that's, a, that's a blessing. If you ever have anybody who's, and this is, a, I've talked to people and I've told them that there hasn't been a time where a man of God has spoken in my life that I don't shake in my boots. That I'm not concerned about what he's trying to communicate. Because I know it's not him. I know it's God. I know it's God. Familiarity is a curse for many of you. It was for those in the times of Jesus. They said, this is Jesus the carpenter. His sisters and brothers are down the street. We know them. We played baseball with them. We played soccer. You, you become so close to your friends and family that you cannot discern the difference between them speaking and God giving you a warning. We might sit here and listen to Gerardo play the trumpet and say, man, he plays good. And it has nothing to do with him and how well he plays. God is sounding an alarm. And so this time to really consider, and surely the Lord God does nothing unless first he reveals what's going to take place, his secrets by his servants, his messengers, the prophets. Verse 8, if the lion is roaring, he's supposed to fear. The man of God is concerned. It's not God playing church. 
you should be concerned. The Lord God has spoken, but who, but who can but prophesy? Who can but declare what the Lord is sending as the message? The Living uh, Translation says, I dare not refuse to proclaim his message. Verse 10 goes on to say, uh, verse 9, he's talking about the surrounding nations. Proclaim in the palaces at Ashad and the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, assemble on the mountains of Samaria. See great torments in her midst and her oppressed within her. Get ready to witness what God is about to do. God has a, a huge responsibility to make sure that his people walk in the order of God because they are, they are the, what is called the, the reference for the surrounding people. Verse 10, he says, my people have forgotten. This is this powerful. They do not know to do right. If there's someone who knows between right and wrong, it's us. Why? Because God has spoken to us through his messengers, through his representatives. So you can't act stupid. You can't act like you don't know. Who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. They're doing things that are contrary. Had a man in my office yesterday. He says, I'm not violent. I said, yes, you are. You're violent. You're violent because you have gone outside of the boundaries established by God. That's what violence is. When God has given you boundaries and you're outside of it, you say, I'm not violent. I'm so peaceful. No, you're not. You're super violent. You have violated the territories, the, the boundaries of God. Verse 11 says, therefore, says the Lord, an enemy is coming. The, the sounding of the alarm that we just read in verse 6 is a trumpet is blown for a city to move in the direction of God. And since they're not moving in that direction, then verse 11, the enemy is coming. He will surround them and shatter every defense that they have. He shall sap your strength. He will surround you and your palaces shall be plundered. Your fortresses will be totally ransacked. Verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs and a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and on the edge of the couch. They have moved into territories that God doesn't want them to be. They're going to be ransacked as one who tries to rescue a sheep that's being devoured by a lion. Verse 13 says, Now listen to this and announce it through Israel, says the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. On every day I punish Israel for its sins, I will destroy the pagan altars at Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. These horns of the altar were where they found their refuge. He says, all your religious exercise is not lined up with obedience, so it's going to come apart. Verse 14, on that day there will be punishment in this transgression. All these things of religious practice will fall apart. Verse 15, I will destroy their beautiful homes. Verse 15, I will destroy... Their beautiful homes of winter, along with their summer houses where they vacation. The houses of ivory shall perish. Their prosperity, 
the great house shall have an end. There's not going to be a complacent Christianity in that regard. Um, what the Lord is telling his people is to turn from their worship idols to lament, to repent, to return, to restore. Amos chapter 5 verse 7, the same book, he tells them like this. He says, you don't treat this as if it were real. Amos 5, 7. Righteousness to you is a game. In other words, doing what I want you to do has become a sport. It's fake to you. It's not real. There is no rabbit. There is no... Are we having problems back there? Amos 5, 7. This is the sentiment of their attitude, the people of Israel. They, they had started believing it was all a play. Everything was fantasy. There's no real danger. There's no real enemy. There's no lion. There's no uh, crushing defeat. You turn righteousness as if it was falling apart and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. I was... I was reading a, a verse in Proverbs. I want to share it with you. Um, Proverbs 10.23. To do what is wrong, to walk, you know, outside of the parameters of God's wisdom becomes a sport. I wonder if they're going to catch us. I wonder if I'm going to get caught. I wonder if something's going to happen. I wonder if it's not. It becomes a hide-and-seek game. I wonder, he says, to do evil becomes like a sport to a fool. I'm going to see how this affects it. I'm going to rub it to see it. And they're just playing games. And, and it's a fool. But a man of understanding is, is steeped in wisdom. So much so that... that Romans 12, 15, a good gauge. That's why I, I love the fact that, that we've been walking with a lot of people for a lot of years. We're able to, to be serious with serious people for a long time. He says, so that we get to the place where we are able to celebrate what we all celebrate and where we seriously weep in broken hearts when things are out of sync. I've had people wanting me to laugh, wanting me to say everything's okay. Why are you so intense? Why are you so concerned? And they don't lift up their heads to see the coming destruction. Ask God in these coming days where you will deeply consider crying out for God's mercy so that he can take notice of your lament. So you could be like a Mordecai and stand in the gap for those that are on the verge of huge destruction. That they would honor you by the intensity of the seriousness that you concern yourself with these matters. The Bible says that there's spiritual, there's spiritual disposition is to be angry with those who lamented. And, and instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice and lament with those who lament or 
Weep with those who weep. Amos chapter 5 verse 10 says the spiritual climate of those people that could not lament, that would not be able to hear the, the distinguish the trumpet call and the times are living. They hate the one who laments at the gate. They hate the one who's rebuking on, on where, where matters need to be transcend, where they need to have effect, where there needs to be someone being able to signal the climate of the atmosphere. Not because they are judgmental, not because they're critical, not because they're the prophets of doom, but because they passionately love God and they, 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 they're tapping into the heart of God for these situations. They hate the one who speaks right things. I'm just talking to a young man today. He says, I've been talking to my friends. They hate me. They, they don't want me to be the one calling them out. They don't want me to lift up a flag that there's, there's, there's destruction coming down the pike. The young man today says, I was talking to a friend, and, and I told him, hey, could I be real with you? You're about to relive the nightmare that your parents have lived because you're not doing anything different. But the, the spiritual climate of not being able to concern themselves, I, I think tonight God is so, so beautiful. I think he's so awesome. I think it's awesome what the Lord is doing tonight. He, he's not only sounded the alarm last week. Today he's saying, man, throw yourself on the ground and cry. And, and you know, some of us don't have a capacity to cry for other people's losses. I tell you that, that it's, it's, it's horrible that many of our sons and daughters are desiring not to be where God wants them to be. Verse 9, the previous verse there, it says that the consequences of not lamenting will be rains of ruin upon those who think they're strong and fury that comes upon the fortress. The devastation of the homes is the result of those who have no capacity to weep. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, This is the word which I take up concerning you. Lament, house of Israel. Because she's fallen, she's cast down, she's forsaken, and no one's there to help her stand up. And no one's there to give her the reality to seek God. Because you've made a joke out of righteousness, verse 7. Let's stand tonight as we close out in, some, some people say like this, well, pastor, I'm just not emotional, okay? Well, pastor, I've never even done what you're talking about. Some of us are so stunned by indifference that we don't, I, I, you know, one of the things that wakes us up a lot is for you to have what Mordecai had in verse 1. Esther 4, chapter 4, verse 1, where he says he, he moved into Esther 4, 1. He moved into understanding what was taking place. He learned all that had happened. When, when, you, when you sink into 
these paradigms of the heart and spirit of God. I wanted to touch one more verse because I think it's important. Uh, you know, what, what might help us tonight is, is in the next two, three days before Yom Kippur, let's, let's read Lamentations, the book of Lament. Let's, let's try to say, God, you know, bring me into this. I, I want to see your church and how it's supposed to look like and, and how it's supposed to suffer. Uh, and one of the things about Lamentations is... Um, chapter 1 of Lamentations, verse 7, says, In the days of her affliction and roaming, in the days of her wandering, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hands of the enemy, with no one to help her. The adversary saw her and mocked at her downfall. The devil is dying to bring upon us great destruction. And when she sees this in verse 8, Jerusalem, why, why the reason of this condition? Because she has sinned gravely. Therefore, she has become vile. All who honored her despise her now because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and is turned away. And it says why there in verse 9, her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. She, didn't, she couldn't tell the future. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no one to comfort her. She had no Holy Spirit in her life. She had no voice of the Spirit of God, the Comforter. Lord, look at my affliction. My enemy is exalted. What the devil wanted took place in my life instead of what God wanted. Verse 10, the adversary has spread his hand all over. He's taken, he's put his hands on all the pleasant things and has stripped us. For she has seen the nations into her sanctuary. She's seen the world come into her mind. Those whom you commanded not to be part of your people. Verse 16, for these things I weep and my eyes overflow with water. Because the comforter, because the Holy Spirit who is restoring my life is far from me. That's why our children are desolate, because the enemy has prevailed. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no conviction. Verse 20. See, O Lord, that I'm in distress, and my soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. Outside, the judgment mourns, and there is no more family. Home is like death. Lamentations 2.9, he says, there is no more instruction in my life. I'm not governed by the instruction of God. I have no more. It says the law is no more, and the messengers find no vision from the Lord. I have nobody taking the fog out of my future. I have no one giving me an exhortation, a rebuke. In chapter 3, verse 39, it says, Why should a living mortal or any man, why should a living man complain? And a man for the punishment of his sins, why, why do you want to get there? Later on, you're going to be going, oh, God, why is this happening? This is a time to lament and repent and be restored and be renewed and walk with God and with His Spirit. You couldn't, you couldn't line up your heart to that. You were festering after rebellion. Verse 40, he says, Therefore, let us examine. Let us go deeper 
and search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let, let our lamenting not be a pity party perpetually, but let it have its, its function to get right with God and to, to return to what God wants us to be participating with. Father, thank you for this word tonight. Thank you because even through the frailty of this vessel, you speak to your people and you bring your heart in our midst and you desire to, to have us come to a place of breaking, a place where we feel the loss, the eternal loss, the great devastation of our families and our children and our, our grandchildren that are far from the place you've provided for them. Lead us to the place where we can move the heavens and the earth through a spirit that is broken in your presence. The Bible talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Not being in a place where we're not able to be moved in, in our very inner emotional depth and cramp of, of sentiment of the losses that are, that are taking place right before us, even in our generation. Give us your heart in this house, O oh God. Let's move with the tenacity, the audacity, the reality like a Mordecai, Lord, that was able to go out to the streets and be so moved that we're able to impact the lives of those around us. There's so many people invited to this table of the Lord tonight to participate in the, so indifferent. We have not given the value of the table we share. Our families don't know. They've made righteousness a sport. They have made righteousness something fictional, something that there's no right way of doing things, there's no right, wrong way of doing things, anything goes, everything's okay, don't worry, lay back, be comfortable, be convenient, don't move in the direction of those who are correcting and calling our attention. Let's ask the men to come to the Lord's table tonight. This is not an event tonight with respect to this word, world-changing, return to lament. Um, soak in this. Don't let it go. You don't want to let go the word of the Lord tonight. Pursue it tonight when you go home, tomorrow morning when you wake up. And we, we, we said we would do this for 10 days from last Wednesday. Ten days of 
of, of really coming before the Lord and speaking things that matter. We have a tendency to always do the superficial, scratch the surface. We never go deep down. We don't examine. We don't search out and ask the Lord, why is it that you don't, why is it you're, you're not known as a person that is moved deeply with the Spirit of God? You're not known as a person in your family that, that is not going to laugh when it's time to cry. You're not going to celebrate a feast in the midst of people's lives being super destroyed. Father, thank you for this table. We receive it and welcome it as a gift to our lives. The instruction of bread broken, the cup that is poured out representing the blood that you shed. Bless this table, Lord. Allow us to participate in such a manner which is consistent with repentance, with confession of sin, with reconciliation, with restoration, with brokenness and yet with unity, O oh God. And we will do this till the day you come, remembering the sacrifice on the cross. This is real to us, O oh God. This is real to our hearts. We celebrate your table tonight in a manner, Father God, which bears deep conviction in our hearts to be right with you and to be right with our fellow brothers in the Lord. Continue to perfect that which you have begun in our hearts, in our lives. And we thank you for this table and the blessing it represents to our lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the ushers pass out the elements, just be thanking the Lord for His provision. It's abundant. It's perfect. And ask God for wisdom. On my knees, offering all of me, Jesus, your all this heart is living for. Oh God, loud and to see your face. 
In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, oh God, be glorified, oh Jesus. In way for you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat this body. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup 
after supper saying this is the cup this is the this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as you as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes therefore whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord but let every man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body for this reason many are weak sick among you and many sleep for if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged but when we are judged we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world therefore brethren when you come together to eat wait for one another but if anyone is hungry let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. The rest I will set in order when I come. Father, thank you for the provision tonight. Provision of your word. Provision of this portion of bread that represents your body. Father, bring us to a place where we are one according to your desire. Gathered in love, in obedience, in faithfulness according to your desire bless this bread O oh God bring our hearts to the place where our lives are pleasing to you in every expression towards one another in love bless this bread that we partake in Jesus name amen you may partake of the bread in the same manner Lord bless the cup the cleansing tide that it represents, oh God. That whenever we sin, we can confess our sins before you and you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we celebrate your table tonight because of what the cup represents, the new covenant of a perpetual union of forgiveness, of mercy, grace, reconciliation, restoration, and cleaning. We pray, oh God, that this cup might have an expression on the holiness and purity that we can pursue because of your cleansing tide and washing. Bless the cup in Jesus' name we pray. We may participate of the cup. Let's stand tonight. There's a saying out in the world that says nobody likes a party pooper. Nobody likes a sad person. But I'll tell you something. To grow calloused and indifferent. To compromise and to conform many times brings a lot more damage than it does any good to those people that surround us 
I've told many of my best friends, I don't want to be part of your destruction, so I won't be coming here anymore. Because I've already preached to them. I've already loved them. I've already walked the first mile, the second mile, the fifth mile. But apparently they didn't know how bad off they were because I continued to be around. And funny enough, when I got to the place to say, you know something, I'm not taking another step in that direction because it's contributing to your destruction. I'm being a contributor. I'm, 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 I'm actually making you feel good walking in a direction that's going to bring a lot of tears and suffering. And I don't want to be a part of your destruction. Some have even told me, well, I just got to learn on my own. I got to live it for myself. So we're waiting. We're waiting for God to give them repentance. And meanwhile, we'll be brokenhearted in our homes, crying, asking God to give them a semblance of returning home. To let their hearts be affected with the emotion of God's broken heart. Father, thank you tonight. We want to rejoice when a sinner repents and not when he continues to pursue rebellion. We don't want to celebrate the loss of those that should be bowed before their faces before you. Give us spiritual maturity, O oh God. Give us spiritual maturity so that we could have a weight that bears sufficient influence in this world. When we go to a conference to share our hearts, let us not parade like a peacock in the county fair, but let us take the sentiment of your heart to the people you've given your life for and that you love. Make us real and authentic. Give us all the sentiment and the spiritual intensity to exhort, to convict, to rebuke while there's still time. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.